Yeah, I just I just like to say yesterday uh, I was scrolling for Facebook and immediately came across something in my notifications, and I immediately had to screen cap it. I'm going to be reading that post now. It was a, it was a Facebook post in a Facebook group from a friend of the show, Darian Joseph, posted on November 6, 2021. The Facebook post I screen capped from Darian Joseph reads, Just a quick update on the fight card game. I have closed everything down. I still have plenty of sets. If anyone wants a set or knows anyone interested... I will, of course, do some fight nights in the future. Thank you for all the support I have gotten with this venture. My name is Darren Joseph. I'm a stand-up comedian, and I have a card game I'd like to tell you about. The fight card game is a simple game of chance. Pick a card, and you are ready to cheer for your fighter and how they win. It's a must-have for fight fans, but also for those who get invited to combat sports viewing events. Pick a card and be invested in the bout. It's simple. Great for all combat sports, MMA, UFC, Bellator, boxing, and jiu-jitsu matches. Other sports have seasons, but combat sports are all year long. So you will get plenty of use. Host your own fight night party, or be a hit at a friend's by bringing the cards. They're pocket size and easy to carry. Learn more about the cards at thefightcardgame.com or go directly to Amazon to purchase a set for $12.99. That's thefightcardgame.com. Thank you. Final words in the matter. The game might be ending, but that promo sponsor ad I will be continuing to use for how long I do this podcast series weekly. Now, carrying on with the main episode and program. <laughs> Uh, Marty Abraham is back for his second installment. And I remember uh, on the last episode he was talking about he was very innovative with animation and music videos of rock culture. I was wondering, like, you showed me off air a lot of uh, stuff you did with other, uh, I guess, uh, rock stars and pop stars. But were you also ever involved of, of animating music videos for hip-hop stars? You know, uh, Grandmaster Flash, Melly Mel. Yeah. Um... There was a dancer I knew, Perry Lister, and um, Grandmaster Flash wanted to do a rehearsal using Perry Lister. Uh, Perry Lister actually, I, I believe, was married to Billy Idol anyway. And there was a cool club called the Cat Club. And the Cat Club had acts and stuff. But um, they were using it as a rehearsal space. So I shot um, kind of behind the scenes of Grandmaster Flash and Perry Lester and, and some other dances. And uh, they were trying some things out. So I documented that. Okay. Did you ever animate over it? Like in this? No, it wasn't. You know, a lot of me doing music video too was um, uh, my, my own specialty and layering and incorporating animation and working very close with, I'll talk later, what I thought of uh, a video band, you know, making yeah. images like people make music. But no, sometimes um, 
sometimes it was just fun to push around uh, a live action camera, you know, yeah. uh, documentary style, handheld. I, I was out at night a lot in the 80s. The club scene was amazing, you know, in New York. A lot of, a lot of music going on. So it was fun to document. Um, back then, it was really guerrilla video. And, I assume so, yeah. From what I've heard. Yeah, so, you know, it, it wasn't easy to shoot. You had a, oh, uh, so-and-so, do you want to go see Peter Tosh tonight? Because I needed a third camera. And I'll get you in, but bring your camera. And cameras were big. And they heavy. Weren't. Yeah, they, 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 they were big, big cameras and people were rolling tape. So the idea of the portability of video um, in the beginning of it, when I was starting uh, mid 70s, um, yeah, portable video was a big deal. But people, my cameramen were carrying around a lot of weight, you know, a lot of machinery. So like in the 80s, was there an option for recording on a compact disc? Compact disc? Yeah, because the CD was invented in 84. Is there, were there any cameras that could record footage in the nose? You know, there's, um, it's really the 70s, okay? okay. Um, in the mid-70s, portable video became much more accessible. Uh-huh. But the art scene... We're not talking broadcast. There no. was these these uh, reel-to-reel, uh, reel-to-reel tape players, not cartridges. Yeah, okay. These were the first ones. They recorded black and white. And um, there was some amazing people, Pat and Emily, uh, 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 the, the, these two women who were really documenting the scene using that. Uh, Bob Gruen doing the Talking Heads. Bob Gruen, a famous uh, rock and roll photographer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I started um, using the color porta packs. Okay. uh, Late 70s for shooting bands and such. Um, Through the 80s, it became... Uh, uh, somewhat more sophisticated, you know, but it all started with real to real black and white recorders, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. You know, it's really interesting. You talked you were talking about what you call it, the video band. What was the word you used? Yeah. You said the word you used like a video of like a video styled band. <laughs> what was only the word? I, Mateo, only me would, would think of this concept. Well, as you know, from the last time, I, you know, I started making animation. Yeah. Uh, you know, 70s, right? I worked, I, I worked a year for an amazing live action film director named Michelangelo Antonioni. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my background with my uncles, with D. Martin. Yeah. And all that. So, of course, I'm going to want to do some live action. Last time we spoke about animation. Yeah. So animation really is all about layering. You have a background, you have a foreground image, you have this, things are moving, and there's different rhythms and timing, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm one of these artists where, uh, yes, I, I uh, what I do 
uh, always has to be new. Uh, and when I finally reach a level that I'm very happy with, like I, 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 uh, I like to think I incarnate a lot during my lifetime. So I was, I wanted to do more live action and music video uh, didn't exist then actually. Uh, what, what my concept was, it was at the beginning of MTV, you know, but my concept coming from animation and, and the early works, I had done some promo work for the Stones. Uh, I was doing these, uh, you mentioned cartridge. No, they were, somehow they were playing on the counter at Sam Goody's, a bunch of rock and roll uh, live action video uh, films and videos, yeah, okay. right? And it was a uh, some device that could play videos uh, literally in the store on a on a video monitor, right? And um, along with that, I would put together a compilation of uh, Journey. Uh, oh God, all the roster from. Atlantic Records. I wound up getting a gig based because I was an animator. And uh, I called it the Rock and Roll Circus. I know the Stones have a Rock and Roll Circus. Don't confuse it with mine. And it was just a countertop. But I did these really wacky with, with very good animators helping me, you know. Uh, these little rock and roll little uh, bumpers between the bands. Um uh, Oh God, I, um, I I I could tell you what bands they were, but many like yeah. Journey, the 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 group that had Freak Out, or anyway. So I would have these little, literally, I was into this 1930s cartoon stuff. So I had like a cartoon image of uh, you know a lion playing a guitar, but it looked like 1920s cartoons, color, and then you cut to the bands and stuff. So anyway, I started getting gigs uh, at Atlantic doing that, different animations with Segway. And then um, working for Atlantic Records, um, nobody was doing this, by the way. No, not yet. I was yet. very lucky. The woman who hired me first to do it really for sore. Oh, this is cool. We never had an animator. This is not music video yet. There was no market. This is way, this is six years before MTV even was conceived of. I always thought that these things would go away of a, a video jukebox like you had in, in France in the 60s. Uh, something tone. Um, anyway, um, so anyway, we're doing these countertops, but uh, Atlantic Records uh, also was the home of Rolling Stone Records. And because I was doing these things, uh, where else uh, I was introduced to the person heading up Rolling Stone Records. And uh, sure enough, they need some promos for a new album coming out, some girls. And me, I have a history going back where I actually have met prior uh, you know, uh, under personal relationships, uh, Keith and uh, a good friend of mine, Tony Basil, 
I met uh, both Keith and Mick through our, and then later on on other occasions, um, running into Keith on an occasion. We, we, we always got along quite well. Anyway, um, so there they needed a promo for some girls and they wanted to throw in a little animation using the cover. Now we're not talking what could easily be done today in After Effects. Everything I had to do uh, for that was, um, it wasn't like uh, digital where everything is there and you could superimpose things on top of each other. Remember, my style was also collage and layering and the animations and, and all that. And it was, so I figured out what I could do in an edit room, but I had a role, literally, by then it was tape um, and cartridges, three quarter inch, uh, low budget, one inch, giant reels of two inch tape, actually. Two inch thick. It weighed like 30 pounds, these machines, in major, major edit rooms. So we had a mix all at once. It was computer-based, but I was very lucky to have a, a really good friendship with an amazing talent, Wayne Hyde, who was working at a place, any video people out there, uh, Editel, and it was a, a fortune an hour to work there, but, they would let Wayne and me play around in the edit room uh, and see what could be done with video. And uh, this idea of layering multiple image at one time uh, really became what After Effects is all about now with motion graphics and layering. So anyway, it took days to do what we were trying to do, but I succeeded. Uh, uh, I'll tell you about what videos I really was able to migrate it to. So I'm sorry to take so long, but I think this is important, right? I think it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there I am doing a Stones uh, spot for some girls and, and doing these little animations, but also mixing live footage and making multiple passes. Uh, back then, we would do it on prior to video. We, we were doing superimposition on film. My background was film. I was superimposing stuff, long dissolves, you know, where you're seeing two or three double images at the same time, you know. So I'm applying all that film optical technology now to a video edit room, and it looked cool. It looked funky for the time, uh, you, you know, like uh, soft edges around things. But there I am doing mix singing. Um, I, I think, um, uh, yeah, I'm sitting at a piano and then the other guy's floating and I put a cloud background behind it. And it was a really cool promo for the, for the band, you know, and uh, also, the animation of the album cover. And they did come back and I did very similar to their album, Tattoo You. Uh, I worked very close with, with, with an animator, a guy named Paul, and Paul animated, oh God, Tattoo You, or uh, their faces are, um, Mick and Keith are um, 
like uh, Aborigine tattoo art. Oh, that's cool. And reanimated it appearing on their face. And same kind of thing, mixing a lot of layers and mixing it together, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, this is already, I mean, this is, um, I haven't even, uh, MTV hasn't even existed yet. <laughs> I don't think, uh, maybe just on the borderline of uh, tattoo, of, of um, television. What? Tattoo. Television? But, um, anyway, uh, there's a second part to this where I have taken the the idea of this kind of multi-level video editing and applied it uh, to really um, very important videos, though I had my own thing. I thought that's what they would become, but let's talk about that in a minute. Sure, yeah. Oh, I never answered your video band thing. Yeah, but, I, I was oh, going to get to I'm going to I'm going to get to that. That begins now with me telling you about um, that concept of layering. Yeah. Is how it became uh, what my concept of a video band that expanded from just an editor, I mean, not just an editor, yeah. brilliant talent. Yeah. Uh, what, like, what did you think when the gorillas came on the scene? Because they were like the first video band. Um, you know, um, yeah, and I, yes, of course. I love the popularity yeah. of, of the um, gorillas. But, and, and because I was teaching animation, a lot of students were excited. And uh, yes, of course. Um, it's the onset of Adult Swim and, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, brilliant. I mean, bands having relationships with video makers yeah. and bands having relationships with animators. Uh, famous guy did that, right? Became very famous. Yeah, quite uh, a few. Extremely important. It's not only the music. I think on the onset of MTV, it was all about uh, the idea of um, the visual. Uh, hey, well, there's a great song, uh, Video Killed the Radio Star. That yeah, I've heard it. I can't remember who wrote yeah, it or did it. That's, no, no, no. Your, your audience would know. Uh, video Killed the Radio Star. That's the first video ever played on MTV. Yeah, so I'm aware. I just don't know the artist. Well, um, um the, the idea that video now is also going to entertain the attention span of the audience. So, of course, little segue. So the gorillas, oh, my God, their music's great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Have that great music. And, um, and what's wonderful in the uh, beginning of MTV there was amazing. I mean, MTV really became a marketing uh, tool. Yeah, marketing. for a lot of people. No, no. I mean, that's what it was. The record labels were marketing bands. And it took on a very clean, uh, commercial-looking... There wasn't videos that were rough around the edges. No, no, no more. And, and that's how I foresaw... Saw the kind of videos I was doing at the beginning of that era for uh, 
debate is Dead Boys prior to MTV. And then uh, 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 Lords of the New Church and Lou Reed. But just yeah. to answer, I like to talk about that. Um, but just to answer your question, the idea now that there's a very short segue uh, entertainment fall, three minutes. Oh my God, now people, it dressed people's attention span and yeah. changed the way people see and hear music. Yeah. So when the gorillas came along, it got, it must have been what, at least 20 years later, right? When, what year? The first it? album came out in 2004. Okay, so it's a good, good 20 years. Yeah. Um, at least 22 years before MTV. I mean, after MTV. Yeah, I know what you meant, yeah. After. So MTV really opened up a door for a lot of, uh, you know, cool stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, you know what really is a forerunner of a lot of that? And my friend Stib Baders, when I was, I, I did videos for Stib, uh, as I mentioned, Dead mm -hmm. Boys, Lots of New Church, and I like to, pay him some ado in that band. But when I was staying with him in England, we were, um, he turned me on to something called the Young Ones. Uh, the I Young heard of them. Ones. Oh man, Mateo, you being in comedy, you gotta know the Young Ones. It's I know, I, I've heard of them. I They're four English guys and they all live together and blah, blah, blah. In the middle of the eighties, one guy's like a punker was a TV sitcom. The reason why I'm mentioning it is in the middle of the show, and this is, I believe, before MTV, yeah. uh, they would have bands playing for no reason, like, like in the funkiest play. Suddenly they would cut and, and it would be like a motorhead. So the idea of comedy, mixing men with cutting to some yeah, amazing show, way ahead of its time, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. It worked, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, hit yeah. me with another one. Oh, no, I was just saying, um, you told me off air, I think it was on the phone. Uh, it was like the last point I wanted to address is your story. I thought it was very entertaining that you were um, doing documentarian work with uh, Peter Tosh, I believe. Yeah, yes, yes. But I, I'm going to have to backtrack now and mention okay. Uh, where I left off, if you don't mind. Oh, sure, sure. Go ahead. And then how uh, my concept of what I thought was a video band. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. With yeah. those functions and in my, quote, stylistic approach, that sounds terrible. Like, it's important just with this kind of energy from yeah. music yeah. video. Anyway, yes. Um, Peter Tosh. I was doing those promos for the Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone records and some others for Atlantic mixing stuff. MTV don't exist yet. And uh, on the onset of the second one, uh, uh, so I did some girls and then tattoo you. Um, there was a guy who was the working for Rolling Stone records because the Stones were producing Peter Touch. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And uh, reggae was not getting the play or anything like that, you know? Uh, so 
Um, this guy, this publicist, Charlie Comer, he was actually came from Liverpool and he was the first publicist for the Beatles. But he, you know, older than me, but a, a really character. Looked like W.C. Fields, but he really took a liking to uh, my creativity and, and what I do. And he was uh, doing work very close with Peter Tosh and also Rita Molly. Mm -hmm. Because he used to do all the uh, publicity um, uh, press guy for Bob Molly as well. So because I was doing work for the Stones and that label, and I had to show storyboards to Mick. Uh, imagine going, you do storyboards and you have to present it to Mick Jagger. Uh, yeah. Wonderful, right? Anyway, I delivered. I did, you know, whatever I had to do. Uh, so now I'm, I, it's good. I have I'm, uh, this guy, Charlie's behind me. And um, there was an opportunity through Rolling Stone Records to document Peter doing a gig at the Ritz, actually, which I should tell you about the New York club scene. This oh, guy, should, yeah. Brandt Ritz, was one of my best friends, but Jerry Brandt. But anyway, let's talk about Peter. So I did um, his album, Wanted, Dread or Alive. Uh, my idea uh, or the record label wanted me to cover a song coming in hot. And um, so we did. And because being an animator, I love the idea. I didn't have to draw every frame. <laughs> I could just set up a three camera shoot. Uh, and also a new way for me to do a gig, you know, shooting some live action, uh, live switching, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, but through that, he was also representing Rita Molly. And there was a um, uh, uh, going to be a Bob Molly Memorial Park opening down in Jamaica. And I would be documenting Rita. I also will will uh, did a uh, performance of Reader, <coughs> Capitol Theater, I think up in Westchester somewhere, right? I documented Reader uh, Reader performing at this Capitol Theater, and there was one specific song they wanted to get out there, but she did not have the backing of Rolling Stone Records. The connection was Charlie. Anyway, there I am to document Reader. Uh, it's a three-day concert down in Jamaica, Memorial, Bob Marley Memorial. And um, God, Peter's there, who I had known. Uh, the Clash. And when I was going out in the club scene one night, I spent, uh, there I am in a secret part of the club, an after-hours club, AMPM, I think it was called, uh, New York City in the middle God, it could have been light out. There I am sitting next to Joe Strummer and we got along pretty good. He's a really nice guy. And I had a background uh, and kind of rep with Stip Baders and being his friend and videos and all that stuff. <clears throat> anyway, there I am in Jamaica in the class. It was a crazy concert. You had the class playing. You had Gladys Knight and the Pips. You even had the Grateful Dead. You had Peter Tosh, Yellow Man, Reader, um, English Beat. Oh my God, three days worth of, of 
people coming and going, but no one showed up, only uh, just really locals. So it was fun, but who else would I be? Me and a, a good roster friend of mine who's uh, kind of worked for Peter, and, uh, and I knew him through Charlie. Um, yeah, there I was with the clash and they, they let me and uh, this other guy, we were standing on the side of the stage while the clash was performing. And Peter Gruen, I mean, <laughs> Bob Gruen, a great photographer, takes a picture back, you know, we were hanging out right on the outside. It's all outside, outside of the stage. And there I am next to Joe and Joe's taking a picture of Bob Gruen in the shot with the other Clash guys standing around. And I'm like kind of smiling. It looks like I'm one of the Clash, which is, whoa. I never knew this picture existed until a good friend of mine, DB, a DJ, uh, uh, called me and said, hey, Marty, did you ever hang out with the Clash? And I said, oh, you know, one night in an after hours club, I was hanging out with Joe. He said, no, no, no. He said, there's this picture that's in Bob Gruen's Clash book. And it's me, that photo of me with the Clash. So it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I would like to talk about my, um, you know, the scene. Yeah, the yeah sure. Scene. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm giving you the, this is your time. Yeah, but it hit me with a question. And you were talking about the scene and like, I was just thinking like, what are the difference between bars and like performance venues? It did shows. Um, well, um, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a little different than that, actually. If you trace the roots of New York clubs okay. and stuff, you know. I mean, even my kid, uh, when, when he was uh, young, there was a teenage club. It used to be the original area, which I, if I'm going to talk about clubs, I got to mention that. It was like a museum of natural history, but for club land. Uh, but they turned into a teenage uh, a venue called Shelter, you know, um, and non-alcoholic. So not all clubs are going to be about drinks either. That um, is true. Venue. Let me go back a little. Get yeah, sure. set up here, okay? Um, and then I also pay a due to my good friend, Jerry Brandt, who, who had a club called the Electric Circus and, mm -hmm. and such. But um, in, in the idea of clubs, um, I always felt the kinship, I mentioned with my uncles. Can I go back? To sure, the go, yeah, go, go, do whatever you need to do. Just, I, I approve it. Okay. Um, you know, um, I, uh, wait, wait, let me just get my, gather my thought where I would like to begin. Okay. Uh, yes, because of my uncles being attached to D. Martin and Jerry Lewis and being able to go backstage when they were in New York uh, as a child, right? Yeah. Uh, I always felt, oh, I could go backstage at anything. So here I am, 11 years old, um, and your audience could believe this or not. And there was something called, there was a guy named Alan Free, invented the word rock and roll. He was a DJ. He was a DJ out of Cleveland. Okay, Alan Free, famous. Um, Alan Free 
uh, would have, he was a radio DJ and he would have an annual Christmas rock and roll review show uh, down at the Brooklyn Fox or the Brooklyn Paramount, downtown Brooklyn. These are two very old, old theater type venues, you know? Um, anyway, um, I'm 11 years old. I had an older brother who was turning me on to really cool stuff. I mean, you know, uh, the, the doo-wop music and he really influenced me and even in my own art, all those scary comic books I kind of borrowed from, you know? So my older, having an older brother is cool. Makes me doubly cool, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, rock and roll was for my generation and these groups was not my parents' music. Uh, you know, it was right at the time you even had, not only would they sent, wanted to censor my comic books and put codes on them, uh, but there's, you could see videos with rock and roll is killing our youth. It's creating juvenile delinquents, right? I mean, yes. Yeah, 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 I know. Saying that. And they were saying comic books too were doing that. And man, I got to tell you, I wanted rock and roll more than anything because of that. The more, you know, my generation is rebel generation. I mean, we yeah. surely proved that during the hippie days, whatever, anti-war days. So anyway, I'm 11 years old. My father takes me to this rock and roll show. And um, usually you would go and you would see a two hour show. Okay. And people waiting online. And then they would, they would play a movie, like a crappy movie, a B movie kind of movie for an hour. Yeah, yeah. And then the bands, uh, the acts would come back on for another two hour show. And those poor groups had to work maybe four shows a day, right? Okay, when I tell you who played this show, we're talking here uh, 57, maybe. Sure, okay. Something like that, right? I went yeah. to every one until there wasn't any more to go to. Uh, but anyway, so I'm 11. And um, the movie's on. Oh, you had to get there to see one show because if you waited for the second show before people got in, you could run up front to sit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Instead of be way in the balcony, as soon as it, okay, because no one wanted to sit through the movie and they didn't allow the next people to come in. So anyway, the movie's on and I say to my father, hey, I'm gonna go to the bathroom or something, you know, whatever. I'm gonna, uh, and he said, okay, bye. Sure enough, I don't come back. And meanwhile, he, oh, and I was so typical of me to do that. I would, since I'm a kid, I would just take off, right? But yeah. in this situation, I'm about 11, 12, whatever. And sure enough, where did I tail ass to where the side door was to get backstage? Now I'll tell you who was playing. Fats Domino, uh, Buddy Holly, the Everly Brothers. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Frankie Lyman, the teenagers, the moon glows, um, and a woman named Joanne Campbell, uh, like a rockabilly, uh, southern, kind of a 1950s Dolly Parton type who, 
you know, I'm 11 years old. Those are the kind of girls you have crushes on, those performers, right? So anyway, there I am standing at the stage door. 11-year, 12-year-old kid, and, and people are going up and down the steps and there's security. And there's Joanne Campbell, who I love. And I'm littler than her. And I go, oh, Joanne, I love you. I think you're so good. And she says, oh, she thought I was Alan Freed's kid. She says, oh, Lance, your dad will be so happy. I rescued you from here. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, Lance, sure. Uh, and she said to the security, oh, he's, it, this is Alan's son. Remember, I'm a 12-year-old kid. I mean, he, he had a 12-year-old kid too or whatever. So mm -hmm. sure enough, she takes me right backstage, the back of the theater. It was not fancy, man, up steps, you know. Bye, Joanne. Thank you. And there I am knocking on every door. Can I have your autograph? Fats Domino. All these people, right? And I yeah. did have a program that had everybody's signature, but uh, some friend had to rip it off from me at some point in my life after that. But I do have proof of one thing. So anyway, my favorite in the whole world was Buddy Holly. I, that's where I started to know, and, you know, I lived my life for rock and roll, Buddy Holly. I, I, I would take a plastic ukulele and have a string attached to it, man. And, and into my mom's grocery shopping box that came in and blast his music. And I, you know, I lived in an apartment building with echoing halls and stuff. Yep. And, and I would bop around at 11 to put on glasses like I was Buddy Holly. And there I am meeting Buddy Holly. And, and he's sharing a room with the Everly Brothers. And it's like, oh, I mean, I love the Everly. And there I am, like in heaven. And I go... Oh man, can I have your autograph? He also gives me an autograph. He signs a 45 of Oh Boy to me. One of his great, and I have it, but me as a kid, to preserve it, I put that old school scotch tape on top of me, the label, and now you got to hold it up to the light. But yes, I meet Buddy Holly, but that ain't it. I say, Buddy, man, could you, I don't say man, I'm an 11 year old kid. I said, my favorite song is Every Day. Every day, ba-ba-bum-ba-bum-bum, right? Uh, I can't sing. Uh, okay. That's why I have an infatuation with rock and roll and doing music video because yeah. I'm, I'm with the band, but I don't have to be able to sing. Anyway, I say, could you sing, buddy, uh, every day? Sure enough, I then get all my autographs. Bye, thank you, everybody. And my dad, man, he's like, the cops are looking for me. I lost my kid and stuff, you know, and um, sure enough, uh, we now have better seats. The show begins and all the acts come on. I mean, freaking Jerry Lewis kicking his piano uh, bench right into the audience. We're talking, you know, the real deal here. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, OK, sure enough, Buddy comes out. He does his hits, you know. Da, 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 not fade away or whatever, you know, Peggy Sue. And then he takes his bow, goes running off. And then he turns back and does a third song and he sung every day. 
And That's I nice. was like, whoa, <laughs> nice guy, man. Like, whoa. And it was like, isn't that great? He did that. I mean, no, that's really nice. In, whether, whether it was in his thing to do or not, but that was cool. But as I had told you last interview, I've always been around celebrity. Yeah. I always could, if I wrote a book, there would be many stories like this, and it would be I'm the outsider of the insiders. Yeah. Anyway. I got bitten by rock and roll and I would love to tell you about the wrap it up by telling you about how I got involved with the videos and having that band and uh, living the life of rock and roll during the late seventies and eighties. I think that would be good. I would just like, so uh, Marty, how, how do you want to wrap this show up? Marty from this episode, can you give your plugs? I just recently uh, dropped, as we say, NFTs. Uh, NFTs are these digital files that are music, uh, images, JPEGs, illustrations, animations. And in my stylistic, surrealistic comic book approach, I've been making my images move. I do have a background in animation. I foresaw this technology, uh, you know, for since the 60s, really. And I was part of a big event called Bit Basil Bazaar through my gallery, Solomon Arts Gallery. Um, and it was wonderful. There was all these other NFT artists projecting the things that they have uh, on these NFT sites. And uh, to all your listeners out there, you can check it out. It's on OpenSea, uh, Martin Abrahams, M-A-R-T-I-N. A-B-R-A-H-A-M-S uh, on open sea. You'll see a guy floating in the sky. And just to tell you, listen, is if you are, if you have stuff, this is a great way for you to post your things. Uh, and perhaps people, you, you, you will get your fan base, you know, and Mateo, yeah. I know you, everybody. Mateo was my student. Could you I imagine was. this? And he's an amazing talent. Thank as you. a illustrator, an animator, and as an amazing comic artist. Thank this you. Is a, this is a perfect medium for you, Matteo. And then maybe we'll do a show one day where I'm interviewing you. That that I would like to do. Thank you. And that's <laughs> been another installment of Let Us Be Idiots. I'm going to cut it. Danger! Danger! Representing on Let Us Be Idiots podcast. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Luby, you be raw, that's a real gig. That's a real gig. But I'ma stay a fool, so let's be idiots. Let's be idiots. I'ma stay a fool, let us be idiots. Let us be idiots. I'ma stay a fool, let us be idiots. They ask me how I do it, keep them coming with that hot flame. Danger, take the reins, act a fool with my pin pain. The only place I do it is the show that gets the silliest. Tired of being stuffy, so I say, let us be idiots. Y'all about to know that I'm the monster with the sick. Call me PMS, probably millions stacking, no, no Let's go, drop lava rocks, burning infinite Keep these bastards angry, angry bastards just don't give a ish Lighting their ways up, bring the real deal I feel we too much, make them all squeal Mohill in my clutch, make them out and out Ruby, lighting it up, got you saying well Lengthy, you be raw, that's a real gig That's a real gig But I'ma stay a fool, so let's be idiots Let's be idiots I'ma stay a fool, let us be idiots Let us be idiots I'ma stay a fool, let us be idiots